Welcome to an episode of Wondering Wednesday, a podcast dedicated to answering your questions about homeschooling, parenting, teaching, home management, and more. This is Donna Reish with Character Inc. Press and Raising Kids with Character Parenting Seminar. Today I would like to bring to you some answers to questions that I have received about overcoming obstacles in parenting. Um, Specifically, I'm going to be talking about eight different areas in which parents, especially mothers, have a tendency to become overwhelmed and have a tendency to not feel like they can solve these problems of uh, these symptoms of overwhelmed. So the first one, and you have a list I hope in front of you in your handout, it's called working out of your season of life is the first one. There are eight of them listed there, and I'm just going to take each one and examine each one and talk about the big picture, the abstract, what it kind of means um, for us and the implications that it has in our lives as parents, and then some action steps that we have found to really help us in our life to get a handle on some of these um, parenting issues. In case this is your first time listening, uh, we have seven children, ages 17 to almost 33, This is our 32nd and final year of homeschooling as of this month, November 2015, um, as we began homeschooling when our oldest was one year old, and we began by homeschooling my younger sister. So we've been about parenting for a long time. We've been about homeschooling for a long time. Um, Spend a lot of time with kids. I have 100 students in my cottage classes uh, in which I test my complete language arts books, my uh, meaningful composition books and other products that um, and books materials that I've written that are published by our small press Character Inc. Press. So um, these are things that we have either experienced ourselves or have helped others with. Um, most, of course, we've experienced ourselves with seven children in that age span, um, seventeen through uh, thirty-two. Um, we've pretty much. You know, experienced a most or a many, I should say, not not most, but many many of the parenting um, obstacles that come our way. So the first one, working out of your season of life. Um, Twenty five years ago, uh, my husband and I went to a Greg Harris workshop called Seasons of Life. We had already been to his the Christian Homeschool and the Advanced Christian Homeschool Workshop. Those of you who are younger and not familiar with Greg Harris, he is one of the pioneers of the homeschooling movement uh, many, many years ago. Uh, John Holt, of course, with the unschooling, and then Dr. Raymond Moore with um, Better Late Than Never and growing uh, Homegrown Kids and so forth. And then Greg Harris uh, actually had the first homeschooling book to make it on the New York Times bestsellers list. And uh, his workshops, his seminars uh, just had huge impacts on those of us who began homeschooling in the early 80s. Um, I know that sounds like a long time ago, but um, anyway, we needed all the help and support we could get because we didn't have what everybody has today, of course, in terms of help and support. And he was a a huge help and support to us. So anyway, uh, in this season of life seminar, he talked about working out of your season of life. And... um, he called the season of life that we were in at that time with three small children, um, babies and business. And I really love the name that he 
uh, delineated for our season because I love babies, first of all, and I was in the middle of having lots of babies, and um, I love alliteration, so babies and business really, um, really works for me. But he talked about how when you're in the season of baby and business, babies and business, it is very difficult to try to do so many other things that you are, you know, you're sleep deprived, you're exhausted. If you're a woman, your body is exhausted and you are trying so hard to take care of these small children and it is overwhelming and it is physically draining. And of course, at that time, either the man or in some cases, the man and the woman um, are out there trying to raise money for the family to, to, to be able to pay the bills. And that's the business aspect. So babies in business and those two aspects of your life take up so much of all of your energies and everything you have that it's very difficult to do much else. And that it is that way for a reason. It is that way because you're supposed to be focusing on babies and business during your babies and business season. And you're not supposed to be focusing on other seasons during this season and, and so on and so forth. And as you move through the various seasons of life, you are ready for the next one because you just finished the previous one. You, um, are, you, you have an emphasis during that season uh, that allows you to totally, you know, give yourself to that season, to that emphasis, if you are not spreading yourself too thinly and trying to do other seasons. Just really, really struck home to us. We came back from the seminar and uh, Ray uh, resigned as an elder at our church because uh, as Greg Harris pointed out, you know, we shouldn't have 20 something year olds elding. And uh, we were trying to you know, do all this stuff in a church when we were kids ourselves and we didn't know what we were doing. And yet we were trying to help all these other people. And, um, he resigned from the hospital board because he needed to be home to help me with babies. And plus he needed to be building up his, uh, work and his own, um, income making. And, um, he quit his master's degree. Actually, he was working on an MBA and it was extremely consuming in addition to his 60-hour work week because he, at that time, uh, had a very intense job for the first 15 years of our marriage um, in the um, automotive industry. And so uh, he was an accountant, a CPA. But at any rate, um, and so we came home and we just changed our lives. We just said, okay, this is our season. This is our babies in business. And we just dug in. And this just was so amazing for us. It allowed us to dig in and focus and parent like we could never dream that we would be able to. And um, it was just really, really outstanding for us. So action steps. Action steps, first of all, is to list what you spend your time on. You know, really just look and see where is your time going. You know, where you look at it in terms of blocks of time, if that helps. That's how I like to divide up time when I'm thinking about it. Blocks of time. Where is your time going? And how many things are really not for right now? For example, how many things should you say for when you're older and then you do them in the next season? Or even likewise, how many things should you have given up already? Because now you have a family, now you have small children, and those things in the past, they were not necessarily, they, they were not necessarily bad, but they're not for now. Those were for your single days, those were for your childless days, so on. And so um, just really examine that and see. And then determine how to gracefully bow out of the things that are not for you right now. Uh, 
Obviously, you might not be able to do this overnight, but make a plan for the future, even if you can't get out of them right away, and try to get yourself into the season that you're really in. Try to really dig into the season that your family is in so that you can get rid of this parenting obstacle of working out of your season of life that just really paralyzes you because it spreads you way too thin. Okay, the next one is about doing too much and being too prideful to say that you can't do something or that you can't fit it all in. Time is um, not infinite. It does not go on forever. We um, only have a certain amount of it. We actually would be better off if we would treat time more like money, where we only have so much of it to spend, and when it's gone, it's gone. The same thing is true of time. But because it's not as measurable, we don't have an empty bank account, we don't have an empty purse, we don't have an empty wallet, we have a tendency not to think of time in that way. And it also, when you have small children, it can feel like you have a lot of time. Um, the, The saying, the days are short, the days are long, but the years are short, is so true. Uh, I mean, if I could just spread the message about how true that is, if I could look in people's eyes and say, the days are long, but the years are short, this is true, and have them believe me, I wish somebody could have done that to me, I would do that, because it is so true. So in the abstract, we have this time to fill, and yet we can't seem to fit it all in. And we're often frustrated because we maybe we're working out of our season. Okay, so that will definitely help to get rid of some of that. But also, we just try to do so many things. And we try to do more and more and more. When uh, new homeschoolers come up to us and tell us that they're about to homeschool, um, one of the first things that we like to say is, okay, what are you getting rid of in your life right now to get ready for next year? if they're going to start homeschooling in the fall. And they say, what do you mean? Nothing. And we say, oh, you don't have anything all day long? You have four, four, five, six, eight hours a day that you don't do anything right now? Well, no. Well, then where are you going to put this homeschooling into? And then they're kind of taken aback, but they realize I'm strapped right now. I'm adding this four-hour period, six-hour period, depending on the number of students and the types of materials you use and the uh, grades and all that. To their day, and it really does um, drive the message home that if you don't have any time right now, all day long, you're completely booked and you're busy and you don't waste time, then where will this fit? And we like to tell parents that when you say yes to someone, you say no to someone else. And then the result of that is who do you want to say no to? You know, we if we could visualize that when we look at somebody and they ask us to do something. And we say, yes, 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 yeah, I'd be happy to. That if we could visualize that at that very moment, we are turning and looking at potentially our child or our mate. In some cases, for me, it would be my parents, our parents. We are looking at these people and we're saying no to them so that we can say yes to this. There are a lot of spiritual and emotional implications with this problem, with this obstacle. One being pride. Pride that... We don't want to say that we can't do something or that we can't fit it all in because we think other people are doing it. They're fitting it all in. So we should also fear of man, fear what others will think. Too much comparison leads you to believe that others really are fitting it all in. 
I have a lot of experience in this area because I am a go-getter and I love to work. Working is one of my passions. I enjoy, I loved working when I had children at home, when I was homeschooling. Um, a lot of children, I loved homemaking. I have loved writing books. I love what I do now, uh, train, teaching and testing my books and writing new materials, writing parenting products and so forth. I love working. And so because of that, and because I have a tendency to go full out on things when I do things, people would often say, I just don't see how you can do that. I just don't see how you can get all that done. I mean, I've been asked this so many times through the years, and my answer is always the same. My answer is, you only see what I do. You do not see what I don't do. And then I go on to explain there are so many things that other people do, whether you are doing your husband's books for work, whether you're caring for uh, an elderly grandparent or a parent, whether you are taking care of a sick child, whether you are whatever it is that you only see what somebody is doing. You don't see what they are not doing. And this is certainly true with me, especially because of writing new materials and things. Those things come out and people are like, wow, you, you know, you, you got a new podcast you know, series and you got this and how do you do all that? But I just don't do a lot of other things. And I'm okay saying that I can't do it all. I gave up gardening, canning, those type of things many years ago. And I'm okay with that. I'm not embarrassed to say, you know, that I don't have 30 quarts of applesauce. That is okay with me. I mean, I used to can during that, during a season when I could, but now I don't, and it's okay. And I'm not, I'm not too prideful to say, you know what, I can't fit that in. I'm already doing these things, and I, I want to do these things well, so I can't add anything else. So here are some action steps for this one. First of all, after you've eliminated the wrong season things, list everything that you are doing and where your time is going. There again, just focus on where is your time going and why do you feel like you can't fit it all in. And then ask yourself, which of the things that you're doing are mandatory to meet your family's goals, your work goals, your financial goals, your spiritual goals, whatever those might be. And then get rid of the things that are not leading you to your real goals. Another way to do this is to list your goals across the page and then list the things that you're doing, the plug those things in under each goal and see where they're fitting. If you have a lot of things that you're doing that really don't fall into one of your goals, then those are the things to eliminate or else admit that you have different goals than what you really thought you did. Time is a very, very telling um, activity. Any kind of time measurement is a very telling activity because your time, whatever you spend your time on, those really are your priorities. We have a whole workshop on prioritizing and we always like to say that your priorities are what you do. You can say something is a priority, but if you do something else instead of that priority, then what you thought was your priority is not really your priority. Your priority is wherever you're spending your time. All right, the next one is working out of your areas of strength. I have um, just found through the years that I excel. I do excellently in some areas when I don't try to do the things I'm not good at. Now, this kind of goes against the grain of the modern, you know, philosophy right now to try a lot of things and to, um, you know, branch out a lot and to, uh, 
you know, add more skills to yourself, add more hobbies and so on and so forth. And there might be a time for that, but definitely not when you have small children. You need to conserve as much time and energy and stress and money as you can. And um, when you work in areas that you're not skilled in, whether it's, you know, household areas or hobbies or at a job or whatever, it takes so much more time, energy, and stress and money to work in those areas than it does to work in the areas you are skilled in. And it could be that some hobbies are just not for you, especially not for this season. Of course, this whole thinking has spiritual and emotional implications as well. Pride, comparison, the desire to be what you are not. Uh, comparisons are dangerous here too. You know, it's a really funny thing because the way I have this handout laid out, abstract and then action steps, this is a prime example of that. I am a teacher and I'm an instructional writer and I write instructional materials. I've written uh, 60 books, 40,000 pages, and I give instructions all the time. That is what I do. I'm an instructional writer. But something inside of me always wants to be a motivational writer or an inspirational writer. And I see inspirational writers and I think, oh, I want to do that. I don't want to always give to-do lists. I don't want to always give action steps. I want to inspire. I want to be eloquent and poetic even rather than action-driven or instructional. And so when I try to do that, I take a lot more time than I do when I write in action-based type of writing. And so even with this abstract action steps, I had to laugh a little bit because the abstract is kind of like that whole concept of inspirational, you know, these are the, the big pictures, these are the, you know, the, the quotes and the sayings and the things that move you. But the action steps are really where it's at. Those are the steps that are really going to help you meet your goals and to take you where you want to go in your parenting. So I just, I used to try to do a lot of things that I was not good at. I, when I had, when my girls were younger, um, well, first of all, long, long ago, I wanted to play piano. I wanted to speak Spanish. Um, I wanted to paint. I don't know where that came from because I'm like, terrible artist. And, um, and it's not, it's not that I'm down on myself or anything. I'm just not good at those things. And so, you know, you're good at some things and you're not good at other things. And I know the things I'm good at and I love the things I'm good at and I love to do those things. But then later on, I tried more things again, even though the first things that I tried, uh, when I was first married didn't work after I got my degree, I was trying to do all these other things. Um, I went back for my master's and I was good at that. I'm really good at school. And, um, but then when my girls got to be certain ages, I decided that I wanted to do uh, domestic type of things with them. And cooking is I'm something I did get pretty good at. And mainly, I'm, and I'm really, really good at freezer cooking and cooking ahead and planning because organizational um, tasks and uh, um, any type of organizing is really, really my skill area. But I took sewing with lessons with them, quilting lessons, um, even thought I was going to do some handwork type of things like knitting or crocheting or uh, what do you call that when you do needle needlepoint. Um, I was terrible, absolutely terrible at all of those things. And um, even to this day, I cannot thread a sewing machine. I don't have a sewing kit. You know how people have sewing kits? 
I have this little thing for the Dollar Tree that has like a little spool of thread and a little needle. And if we absolutely can't take somebody something to a um, sewing lady, seamstress, um, and a friend that I often hire to do things can't fix anything, then I just go to Goodwill and get something else. Or Jonathan, who knows how to sew. He's our fifth child, and he was in drama, so he had to take a whole thing on costumes and stuff. So he kind of knows how to sew. He fixes things for us, or my husband will fix it. Never, ever do I sew anything. But you know what? I'm okay with that. And that is a thing that we have to be in order to really take a grasp on this, working in our strengths and our in our um, skills. Because otherwise, we're constantly embarrassed and too prideful to say, you know, I'm really not good at that. And then we just keep striving and striving to do things that we're not really good at. Action steps for this to, is to, the first one is to identify skills and talents that you have been trying to develop that really aren't you. And then ask yourself if any of these should be dropped from your life. Are you spending unnecessary time on things that you're just not really that good at? And that you're probably not going to get good at because it's not really in your skill set. And what areas of strength do you have that you could be bringing to your life if you weren't chasing other areas? So those are just some important things to look at in working out of your strength, outside of your strength areas. Because uh, I've just found so much more productivity through the years when I stayed within my skill areas. Okay, I would like to move on to the fourth thing now, and uh, this is focusing on too many things at one time. Now, this is actually two separate, uh, there are actually two separate aspects to this one. The first one is you have gotten rid of the things that are out of your season. You've gotten rid of things that are not helping you meet your goals. You've gotten rid of things that you're not strong in, but you still have a lot to do. I mean, let's face it, we are all super, super busy and you still have so many things that have to be done all the time. And a funny thing about doing things well is that you can do so many things well, but then there's often one point, one step over the line that you can take that will make you not be able to do things well. And all of a sudden, you are just like, wow, I was doing so well. I was doing these things, and, and I was getting a lot accomplished, and, and things were moving forward like I wanted them to in my home school and, and in my parenting and uh, in my house housework and, and housekeeping and uh, home management. And, and then all of a sudden, boom, what in the world is this all about? But if you will analyze those times, you will probably see what I have come to see, and that is that there is a threshold of which you can do things well. And then after that, you can't. And I can remember telling Ray, you know, that everything was fine until, you know, we had out-of-town guests. Everything, and then we had to prepare for that. Or everything was fine until we were taking a trip. Everything was fine until we were having a baby, whatever it might be. And then at that point, all of a sudden, you're no longer able to function well. And then you start feeling badly because you're like, well, I just can't do all of this stuff. Well, you're right. You've just taken on one step more or one task more or one area more than what you can really handle. 
And so to feel badly or to think that, that it's your fault is, is simply not true. We all have these levels at which we can do well at. And then above and beyond that, we just can no longer do well. And so that is the first area. And what happens is that we are not able to gain or sustain the motivation, the momentum that, that all of those things take at the same time. And so then we become very general where we're not really, you know, being specific in anything. We're not really focusing in or zooming in or zoning in on anything uh, specifically. And then we can't do those things well. And so for me, I know this happens various times in my life, and sometimes it has been unplanned, and sometimes it has been planned, and obviously if it's planned, then, you know, you can prepare for it. Um, but, but for example, um, when I was about to have a new baby, I would be all about preparing everybody for that new scene, that new season. I wanted to be ready for it. I wanted to move everybody up in the chores. I wanted to... Uh, have my freezer full of freezer meals. I wanted to have my house in a certain state. You know, I just wanted to be ready because I knew that I wasn't going to have time for all of those things whenever I had a new baby. And I didn't want to spend my time on those things after I had a new baby, after, when I brought a new baby home. So I would do all of those things to prepare. And so what what you're basically doing when you do that is you're preparing so that you can fit this new thing into your life and you don't have to worry about all the other things that you used to do as much. And so that's how you can just kind of seamlessly or or less traumatically or dramatically move uh, something new or a new area or whatever into your life. And I would do that, you know, whenever I was having a new baby. Another thing that I did when I was about to have a new baby is that I would... Um, make these goals for my kids so that for the first month after I had a baby, they had these goal booklets and they would have certain things. They were supposed to read so many chapters of so many chapter books and, and they were supposed to do so many math drills and so many uh, Lego building sessions. And I had fun things mixed with academics and, but they were all just about all independent or, you know, we used to have these little things they did on their laps, Geo Safari and Mass Safari. They were, you know, things that they could do independently. And they knew they had to do X number of goals a day in order to be done at the end of the month and so forth. And that kept them going in school without me having to do school every day like I normally would do school. And so, so basically I was preparing so that I could do well in the new baby area knowing that I can't do it all when I have a new baby. And so those are some ways that you can prepare for it. But obviously you have a lot of times when you, when you can't prepare, right? You have, um, I can remember uh, several years ago um, within like a six-month period or so, um, well, actually it was, yeah, it was, yeah, it was like six or seven months, that um, our parents just had like enormous needs. It, it started out with um, uh, Ray's mom having a stroke and then uh, a little bit later, um, my dad got very sick from a from um, Lyme dis disease with a, t a deer tick bite, and he was unable to walk, urinate, or defecate. It was very he was very very sick, and we were he was in a couple of hospitals, and then he was in a nursing home for rehab, and then he was you know in rehab at home, and then a little bit later, my mom had knee replacement surgery, and during that six months, during that 180 day period, I was at doctors' offices, hospitals you know, clinics, rehab, nursing homes, whatever. I was at those places 90 out of 180 days. So I was not doing well on my other responsibilities. 
But Ray and the kids picked up the slack so that I could do well in being a daughter. Right? We can't do it all well. So we have to accept what we can do and do whatever we need to do to do it well. So that is one thing about focusing on too many things. Obviously, you can get rid of some things, and just like I talked about before, and that will help you. But also, you can just feel so defeated if you don't come into these things saying, you know what, I can't do all of this well. And that, and that is such a freeing acknowledgement because you take the pressure off of yourself to be everything and, and to realize, you know, you have your limitations and you don't get discouraged every single time something comes along that takes you just over that edge, just over that mark where you, you know, really can't do things well anymore. And we all have that place. The other area for this focusing on too many things at one time involves focusing on too many things at one time as far as changes and as far as making improvements in your home. Um, Ray and I set out 30 years ago uh, with some advice from his mentor to try to make changes. He suggested we meet once a week and talk about something that needs improved, something that's you know going on at home that needs uh, attention, a change, you know, whatever, an improvement. And um, through the years, we've tweaked that. And obviously, a week, you know, one a week would be a little bit overwhelming. But it is very fair to say that throughout our 30 years since we heard that advice, that we have changed one thing a month, that we have made a great improvement for our family once a month. Once a month, we looked at something and we fixed it. We looked at something and we changed it. We looked at something and we improved it. And people often think that if you can't change a lot of things, it's just hopeless. You may as well just forget it. You're not going to make any improvements because they're all too big. They're all calling out to you. And if you can't do it all, you may as well just forget it. My advice, though is completely the opposite of this because I'm looking at this on the other end of it and I'm saying in 30 years, we made one change a month, one improvement a month over a 30-year period. That's 36, bring the zero, that is 360 improvements, 360 changes, 360 great things for our family. So when you think that this is not enough. It doesn't make any difference. It's not big enough. You need to make bigger changes and so you may as well just forget it. Remember that, that if you're parenting seven children over a long period of time, you could have 360 good things for your family. Is 360 good things too few? Definitely not. That's amazing. That's remarkable. And I am so glad that we can look back and realize that we had those 365 changes and that we stuck with them and that we made those things happen for our family. Okay, the next obstacle uh, to overcome is that of having unrealistic or unmet expectations in your spouse. Um, This is a really, really big one, and it has tripped so many women up, and it sometimes paralyzes us to where we don't do what we need to do either. And so just a few abstracts, just a few thoughts about this before we talk about some action steps and some ways to overcome this obstacle. The first thing is that we have to believe and understand that we will never be happy if we base our happiness upon someone else doing what we want them to do. So... We want them to do this. We want them to do it in this way. We want him to to be on the same page. We want him to agree with us. And when that doesn't happen, we become unhappy. 
And, you know, there's a saying, an old saying uh, that goes around and people laugh about it. They're, you know, if mom ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And I just think that that is such an unchristlike saying. Um, because what we're saying is that, you know, in order for us to have a happy home and in order for me to function and do what I need to do here, you guys all have to conform and cooperate or else, you know, watch out. And that's really a sad state to be in as a mother because then that, you know, our children are never sure how we're going to be, you know, whether we're going to be happy or not, whether they met our expectations and so on and so forth. Expectations can be good. If you've decided on goals together and, you know, you're carrying those out together and so forth. But expectations are not good in many situations, um, whether they're unmet or unrealistic or both. Uh, they're not good if they are your goals only. It's not good to, you know, make these plans and make these goals and things and then push them on your husband and then him not want to and then you're upset about it. Um, it's not good if they're not clearly communicated, you know, the always you should, you know, the old you should know what I need or you should know what I want kind of thing. It's not good if they keep you, they are not good if they keep you from being appreciative of what he does do. Um, if you cannot be grateful for the good things in your husband, then expectations are really ruining it for you. And, and that's not good. Um, it, they're not good if they cloud your eyes of love. If you look at him and all you look at, um, is those unmet expectations, then, then that is not good. And they're not good if they keep you from doing what you're supposed to do. So let's just talk about some action steps, or let me talk about some action steps. I guess you're listening. Um, and the first one is to talk to your husband about that planning a change a month or a change a week together. It's much less overwhelming to a husband to have his wife say, you know what, I heard this lady talk about making a change a month and it was really, really made a lot of sense. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. So anyway, then you can say to him, and I was wondering if maybe we could plan one thing a month that we would focus on or that we would change or that we would improve in our family. Um, because she was telling about how it added up to a lot in the end. And, and it's not as overwhelming. Not coming to him at, you know, I need for you to do this, this, and this. And why aren't you doing this, this, and this? And things would be better if you did this, this, and this. But instead, just humbly saying, you know, would, would you join me in this? You know, I, I think that we're so, you know, a lot of times overwhelmed by the whole concept of leadership in the home that we either don't make our expectations known because we think, oh, that's not being submissive, or... You know, we don't just take initiative on our own to do the things we need to do because we think that that's not the wife's duties. Um, but, you know, we are a partnership. We are a team. And we are supposed to submit and support one another. And so I wouldn't be afraid to bring things up to him. But it's definitely, just like anything else, it's how you bring things up. And it's what your expectations are. So rather than, you know, you do this and if you don't, you're displeasing me, you know, bring it up in the... And the way that you're saying that, uh, you know, we're a team, Can you want to do this together with me, you know, rather than uh, blaming. Um, and communicating that non-judgmentally. Stop looking at your husband as the enemy. This is a really big problem because what happens is we have these unmet expectations and sometimes unrealistic expectations. And then the next thing we know, we just think about those all the time. And we look at him and he's like the enemy. For one thing, you know in your heart of hearts 
most of the time, I'm, I'm not, obviously there are exceptions to this, but most of the time you know that your husband loves you and loves your family and wants good things for you. When you look at him as the enemy, you are basically saying, you don't care about our family. You're the enemy. You're not trying to do anything here. When in reality, he probably loves you guys dearly and he probably wants great things for your family. But you have to understand that sometimes he also gets overwhelmed. He also meets obstacles in his parenting. Sometimes it's just hard for them to take the initiative because you're there all the time and you know what needs done. My husband was never, ever intimidated by me saying, you know what, this really, we need, we need to do this. We need to do something about this, you know, because we were a team and he knew that I was with the children 12 and 13 hours a day. Um, the first 15 years we were married, he always worked, you know, like from six in the morning until seven at night. And so uh, he knew that I saw things and that I knew what needed fixed. So it was never a big, um, a big deal. Like I was like bringing it up to him, like, you know, you need to fix this, but rather, you know, this is what's happening. This is going on all day long. We need to do something. Just a whole different mindset when you don't look at him as the enemy. When you look at your husband, one of the things that has helped me when I'm disgruntled about him not doing something that I want. And even the best husbands in the world are not perfect. And they're going to do things that you do not like or things that, um, you know, you wish you would do differently and stuff. I is to write down in your planner or in your, um, the front of your Bible on a sticky note somewhere, the two or three things that he is just excellent at, that he is just fantastic at, whether it is bringing in income you know, working hard, being really good at his business and bringing in uh, enough income maybe that you can homeschool uh, without having to also bring in income. Or maybe it's just that he's very generous or very giving. Maybe he gives great gifts. Maybe he is kind. Maybe he takes care of himself. And, you know, that's just really something that you're proud of with him. Whatever it might be. And remember these two or three things. And when you look at him and you're upset about him not doing the things you want him to do, instead, look at him and think, look at him with eyes of love that say, you are so good at these things and I love you for them. And even if you don't do anything else but these things, I still love you for that. I still appreciate that. And lastly, be very careful about the mentality of I'm not going to do this because it's his job. And if I do it, he will never do it. We were kind of in the middle of that whole, you know, uh, the wife is going to make the husband do it by not doing it thing. And that was really big teaching when uh, we were young parents. And um, especially in homeschool circles, it was like, well, what do you do if your husband won't do morning devotions and, and he's just not interested in leading the children spiritually? What do you do? And it was always like, well, you know, if you do it for him, then he will never do it. And we just never believed that. We just believed that whoever was there at the time would teach the kids. Whoever was there at the time would instruct them. Whoever was there at the time would reach their hearts. And it wasn't like... I was going to make him do something by not doing it so that, you know, he would be forced to. For one thing, it's manipulative. For another thing, it's not like he's the only person who's supposed to teach the Bible. As a leader of the home, that 
It does not mean that you don't do all these wonderful things for your family. The wife is supposed, the mother needs to do all those things too. And the last thing is that do you really want to get on this is, do you want to get 10 years down the road and look back and say, well, I didn't do it because I wanted to force him to learn to do it or to force him to do it. And he never did. So, um, now, you know, we're in trouble. Nobody's done it, whatever it was for all these years. So when you have these unmet expectations, there are a lot of ways to handle them, but definitely find some ways that are not judgmental, that are not so um, condemning, and that take on more of a team mentality. I'm going to skip over number seven. I do have some notes there for you that you can look at, but I'm going to skip over it because I have got so many other podcast episodes about organizing freezer cooking, and so forth. So I'm going to just direct you to the back page, and there are posts and podcast episodes to check out, and there are a lot of things about efficiency, home management, kitchen efficiency, and so forth um, there, as well as uh, just getting things done, prioritizing, things like that. I write about that, and I speak about that all the time. So I don't want this to get too much longer than it already is going to get. So I do want to spend a little bit of time on this last one, this last obstacle of too many thrills and distractions and not enough focus on spiritual, relational growth, family time, and so forth. In the abstract, we have to understand and believe that how we spend our time communicates to our children more than anything else where our values are, helping others, building up your family, or being thrilled and entertained. You know, what, how we spend our time shows them more than anything where our values are. The other thing that we have to believe, and it's true, and, and all of us know it's true, and all of us see it, and that is that too many thrills for children uh, will dull their sensitivity to spiritual things and decrease their desire for normal. If you find yourself in one of those situations where nothing is ever enough, that you just feel like you cannot do enough to make your kids happy, that you can't thrill them enough, you can't buy them enough surprises, you can't buy them enough, uh, you can't give them enough spending money, you can't get enough treats at the store, you can't give them enough video time, you can't give them enough game time, you can't give them enough free time, you can't, uh, you know, have enough friends over or let them go to friends enough and so on. If you're at that point, then, then you are at a point where you have let thrills and distractions really become an obstacle in your parenting. And so, um, you know, I know that we can't just go back to the good old days. And I, and I hate when people say, you know, well, we need to go back to how it used to be. We can't go back to how it used to be because we live now, right? But I will tell you that one of the reasons why we had successful family times and successful times in our parenting really was because we did not have distractions and we did not have very many thrills. We had seven children, one income. We didn't have a ton of money. I mean, we took our kids to Chuck E. Cheese's some. My, you know, our parents would like take us out and stuff and we did fun things and, and we went out for birthdays. It's not like we didn't do anything fun, but they definitely didn't have a daily diet of thrills. And we had home-cooked meals, that type of thing, you know, because you're trying to live frugally on one salary. Also, we just didn't, we didn't have technology. And, you know, technology is such a huge blessing today that, you know, if you can rein it in, 
it can just be amazing for you. It can help you in your parenting. It can help you in your homeschooling. It can, it can help you be better at anything you want to be better at. So it is a great thing. But my distraction every day was after lunch, after story time, I looked at catalogs for 30 to 60 minutes. That was my distraction. Other than that, I had no distractions. If you can imagine getting up in the morning and having a single purpose to train your children, to teach them, to spend time with them, to manage your home with no distractions except a catalog, you would see how much time I had, how much uh, freedom I had, and how many opportunities that I had for all the things that I wanted to do with my children and with my family and for my family. Now, we obviously can't go back to that. So what you need to do is to really rein in the thrills, both for you and for your children. Um, And I just have a few steps here. For one thing, to look closely at a given week or month of your family life and examine how much time is spent on the things that you say are priorities versus how much time is spent on thrills, entertainment, and so forth. And then develop habits and routines that build the non-thrills into your family's life. Have these things in place. Have these time blocks. I didn't use a moment-by-moment schedule. I used blocks of time. Early morning block, mid-morning block, lunch, noontime block, early afternoon block, and and have those blocks filled with reading aloud, with projects, with building with Legos, with baking, with uh, wood cutting, whatever it might be, you know, and have them filled with meaningful, purposeful times so that they don't have so much time for all the thrills. And uh, the same thing with you, you know, Reward yourself with thrills. Make thrills the exception. Don't make thrills the rule for you and for your children. So have your children earn those those thrill times. Um, there are all kinds of things on Pinterest and on the internet about how to reduce television time, how to reduce um, screen time, and so forth. And I really, really recommend that you do this for yourself too. Um, one of the things that would help if I were in this situation right now, and I had to parent and work all day with my children, I would have to have an accountability partner to get away from technology. I would have to have an accountability partner in which I had extremely specific goals with extremely specific action steps for those goals, and I would have to report in. I would just have to report in, and I would I would have to say, you know, this is what I've done so far, and so on and so forth. I know I would because I know that it's easy for me even now. I'm supposed to be working and I work hard and I'm a diligent person. I'm really, really resourceful. I love work. But I can find myself, oh, just kind of scrolling through Facebook and the next thing you know, 30 minutes is gone. And um, so, you know, to really make yourself accountable for your thrills. Take on the mentality that everything can't be special. I have um, some blog posts about this also, but everything can't be special. When everything is special, then nothing is special. When everything is special, you have a really hard time making things good for your kids because they're so used to thrills that you can't really do anything to make them happy. Share life with each other via meals, tech-free zones, and so forth. I just really, really recommend that you... uh, uh, Take inventory of your time, of your family's time, and see how that's shaking out. 
we didn't buy our kids game systems and um, they didn't have even now they as teenagers they didn't have smartphones and they didn't have their own computers and they didn't have televisions in their rooms or anything like that so that's been in the last you know five years so that's kind of you know during techie times um but it was easy for us because the older kids didn't have those things. So it was easy just not to do it with our, our next kids as well. Um, but I just encourage you to greatly reduce the thrills so that you can really do the things that you need to do to meet your parenting goals. I hope that you will visit us at our blog, um, Character Inc. blog, or our store, Character Inc. store, um, starting this first Week in November 2015, we're going to be having our Freebie Fridays, where if you are subscribed to the blog or to the newsletter, you will get a Freebie Friday every Friday in your inbox, and it is going to be a multitude of different things, uh, many of which we have at the store right now. Some of the things that we're looking forward to to sharing with you, um, uh, kids' faves, worksheets, the four Ds of behavior, posters, um, uh, the no response rule worksheets, um, uh, some encouragement cards, affirmation cards for your kids, uh, some language arts things. I love my past participle packet. Um, I get a great, great joy in my past participle packet. Um, and just some other things. We also are uh, making a living room workshop uh, called The Honest Family, and that is. Uh, going to be a pretty long video recording that doesn't really fit uh, because of its length and it's it's just it's in great importance. We're going to make it as a living room workshop and um, we'll be selling that, but that will be available as a freebie Friday uh, later on. So these are the things that you can expect in the future if you subscribe to the blog. Um, so I hope you'll do that. Uh, podcast episodes every Wednesday. Um, most most every Wednesday we have our Wondering Wednesday podcast, which is the one you're listening to right now, in which I answer questions. So if you want to send questions in via Facebook or uh, email, all the contact information is also at the blog, and I hope that you will do that. So thank you so much for listening. This has been Donna Reesh with another Wondering Wednesday podcast episode from Raising Kids with Character, Parenting Seminar and Blog, and Character, Inc. Press. <music>